Paul stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came near the man, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. That's what Patrick called us to last week. And so this morning, I want to spend our time together trying to think through exactly what it is that we're called to do there. After all, if we're going to go and do likewise, we need to know what he did first. And so in the story of the Good Samaritan, I see three identifiable actions that we ought to replicate. If we are going to go and do likewise, we need to do these three things. So the first action is that the Samaritan came near the man who was beat up. He saw him lying down on the side of the road, and he walked up and saw him. He came close to him. Church, if you want to hear a countercultural challenge to do something different this morning, hear the call to draw near to people. Seriously, have you considered, have you noticed all of the artificial walls we put between ourselves these days? It is incredible. It used to be that when you stood in line with people, that you would communicate with them or at least share in common that you were standing in line. I offer you this challenge. Go to Target today at about 5 o'clock when everybody's had time to get there and stand in line and see how many people are on their cell phones. Seriously, see how many people are checking out Facebook or are checking to see how far ahead the Cowboys are. Mike, I promise that's the only one. That's the only one. (laughs) Go to a coffee shop and sit in a coffee shop and look. Look at how many people have on headphones and how many people are having conversations. You'll be surprised. A couple weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop, which I do like once every eight weeks or so. I'm not a coffee shop kind of guy. But I went and sat in one, and I was sitting there with my headphones in for about 60 minutes, and then 
I had a conversation with somebody that was coming to have a conversation with me for about 20, 30, 45 minutes. Lost track of time, not sure. But that entire time, I only saw one other section where people were having a conversation. Everybody goes to this place to be alone. How many of us use self-checkout at every possible occasion? Think about some of the conveniences we've become reliant on that distance us from others. Instead of going to Blockbuster, which I know all of you remember doing, right? Blockbuster was a movie store. <laughs> you had to go. It's, it's a place that you went to to pick out a movie and they'd help you. They'd say, hey, you should check out this movie. Now, we stream them directly on our TVs. We don't even have to leave the house. Instead of going into Walmart and perchance um, talking to somebody in the store, you can actually log in to walmart.com or whatever, have them pick out your groceries and go sit in your car while they put their groceries in your car. You don't even have to get out of the car. It's very convenient. Instead of hiring somebody to fix our building or to fix our plumbing or any of these things. We watch YouTube videos. I know some of you are thinking, that's a terrible idea to begin with, but <laughs> we do these things. With all of these advancements in our lives, we've moved further away from each other. Instead of drawing near, we've increased the distance between us. But this Samaritan, who is the hero in this story that Jesus tells, draws near to people. He draws near to this man on the side of the road. And nobody can accuse Jesus of not doing the same thing. Jesus always practiced what he preached. People would swarm to Jesus to have their loved ones healed, to hear him speak, to see him face to face. People would come to Jesus and he would encounter people who were blind, crippled, bleeding, dying, and epileptic. And for all these people, Jesus would draw near to them and offer them healing. If we're going to be like the Good Samaritan, the first action that we must take is to draw near to people. That is the first thing that it means to go and do likewise. The second action is going to be a little harder for some of us who are less in touch with our emotions. And I am not even going to look at my wife during this part because I know she's probably smirking at me. The second action I see from the good Samaritan is that he was moved. He was moved with emotion. The text says that he was moved with pity. Pity is one of those words that I don't like much. Pity in my mind, has this connotation. It, it reminds me of when I, the last town I was in, there, there were all these kids that I knew. I was the youth minister, so I knew most of the kids. And, and they'd have a football game. And any time after they lost a football game, someone would come up to them and say, hey, it's okay, I'm sorry you lost. And they'd feel bad for them. They'd feel pity. But really what that meant was a, a little bit of judgment, like you shouldn't have lost that game, kid. It would mean... That there's a little bit of regret that this happened because it changes our plans for next weekend. There's all these things wrapped up in that word in my mind. There's a sense of regret, sense of judgment. The Greek word is actually a funny word. It's the word splankna. So you're going to go home and, and remember the word splankna today because it 
matters a little bit. But it literally means guts or bowels. I told you, you're going to remember this word now. It's most common use is a little more figurative than that. It's all about that feeling, that churning in the pit of your stomach. When you know something's wrong and, and you feel compassion or pity or urgency, it's that involuntary drop that says, this isn't okay, something has to change. It's a feeling that Lindsay, my wife, experiences all the time. I told her I was going to say this. For those of you that don't know Lindsay very well, she's a nurse at a hospital in the emergency room at a children's hospital in St. Paul. And she's had more than a few instances where her patients are just caught in awful life circumstances. Whether it's kids or teenagers, newborns, infants, it doesn't matter. And she's called more than once and asked me if she could bring home the baby that she is taking care of. Regardless of HIPAA or whatever regulations <laughs> she would be breaking. And in fact, there was one case in the last several months where other nurses were asking her if she would bring home the child. Where they are moved, or several of these nurses leave the hospital at the end of the night crying together. Because deep within them, they are moved. It's what the Good Samaritan was feeling when he comes upon this man who is half dead. We've all probably had these moments when we've seen these ASPCA commercials. You, you know, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, I found this picture. When she's singing in the arms of the angels with the videos of dogs and cats that you've just wanted to call in and adopt right there on the spot even though you're not allowed to because of your rental agreement. Or maybe, maybe it's this next picture for you. You remember Omar Daknish? Not too long ago. Omar is a boy from Aleppo, Syria, who just sits there with this stoic look on his face. His pictures are taken of him. And in the pit of your stomach, in the recesses of your heart, you feel it. You feel something. It's that word splankna. He was moved. And we've had this happen to us. So what happens to Jesus in Matthew chapter 14? Jesus has just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, the person who is most responsible in this life for Jesus starting his ministry, John the Baptist is dead. He has been killed. And Jesus, like many of us, wants to get away and be by himself. He just needs some time to process what's happened. Because this is hard. And he gets to where he's going, and all of a sudden there's a huge crowd waiting for him. And this crowd has with them their sick, and their dying, and their loved ones. And Jesus, when he sees them, is moved. He feels it. Church, that's what we're called to go and do likewise. And I, I believe that when we draw close to someone and see them as they are, with their needs apparent to us and not shielded from us, 
when we allow people to get that close, we will have this, this feeling, this blankna, well up within us. So the second action we're called to is to be moved. The third action that this Samaritan does is he takes action. He does a lot of different things in this story. He, he pours oil and wine on this guy so that, that he'll be soothed. He bandages him. He puts him on his donkey. He does a lot of different things. He, he takes him to the inn where he can get the help that he needs, and he doesn't absolve himself of this. Once he's there, he pays for him to be able to stay a little bit longer and to have all of his needs met. He takes the financial burden upon himself. James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Church, this guy saw a man who was dying. He was moved and he took action. Church, we're called to do likewise. One particular need that has moved me the last couple of years is adoption. Adoption. Did you know that this church, our church, has a great history of adoption? I assume a lot of you do know that. Some of you have been adopted. Some of you have adopted children of your own. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Patrick and I were talking about it this week, and we came up with more than 15 adoptions that have happened, just that we are aware of. For the rest of us who have not adopted children, I want to dare you to do something. I dare you to look into the process. Could God be calling you to this? Maybe it's not right for you, but maybe it is. Leon Ross is one of our elders. He's not here this morning. But Leon's been involved with this group called Fauna for several years. And Leon goes to these Fauna events every now and then. And he's told me repeatedly that it is the hardest thing in the world to go to those things and not bring home a kid. Every time. You draw near to a kid, you feel moved, and you take action. I'm the outreach minister at this church, and I talk to several of you fairly often about outreach strategies. How can we grow this church? How can we, you know, do a really good job of reaching out? And I came up with this strategy that I think you're really going to like. Let's adopt a bunch of kids. (laughs) Seriously, we care a lot about children's ministry, and we've got good things going on in our children's ministry. Why don't we adopt some kids and bring them into it? And you think I'm joking here. This is a real option. I printed off some information for anybody who's interested as well. Seriously. If you have any questions, ask someone. I have a ton of questions, but when this Samaritan sees a need, he draws near, he's moved, and he takes action. This might go without saying, but it's still important. If we are going to be like this good Samaritan, if we're going to go and do likewise, we have to be people of action. Inaction's not a good option most of the time. How can we be disciples if we just draw near and have pity? If you just draw near and you see someone and you say, oh, that's too bad, and then you move on. Does nothing. But in saying that, I acknowledge that there is some tension in this story. 
There's some tension between this story that Jesus tells and where our lives are found. I'm going to invite Patrick up. Patrick's going to come up and share a story with us. Patrick and I have spent a lot of time over the last month or so talking about this Good Samaritan story. And one of Patrick's buddies has just this great story about seeing a need and taking action that I think Patrick can do a good job of sharing with us. Yeah, so I had a friend of mine uh, in ministry, and he went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And they were out deep in the rural part of the Dominican Republic, you know, just not not a lot going on. It's not the resort part of the country. And uh, they were trying to help churches, Christians in the area. And so they had come to this one Christian's house and spent some time with him. And they noticed that his stairs going up to his house were just rickety and falling apart. And they said, we would love to help you fix those stairs. Sure, that sounds great. Not a problem. So a bunch of Americans got out and they're like, okay, you know, they're trying to problem solve this. And they think, got to go to get a bunch of rocks. We're going to go to the hardware store, get all the stuff we need, you know, make everything just right, just perfect. And they're like, because we're Americans, you know, bigger is better nicer is better and so they started to build this set of stairs going to this guy's house that was the nicest part of his house by far the sturdiest part of his house the biggest part of his house and he comes out and he's like no 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 no, stop 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 don't do this and they're like what are you what are you talking about why that doesn't make any sense you know we want to build it strong sturdy you can have a nice big porch he's like no 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 I don't, that's not what i want i don't want you to do that stop doing that and they could not figure it out they could not figure out what was going on that he did not want them to build him something nice and that's all they wanted to do was to build him something nice and finally you know through the process of translators and communication this guy's problem was is that building those stairs that nice that would make him look like he was somebody special in the community that he wasn't and he was afraid it would make him a target for people around him. They're like, this guy's got a nice set of stairs. He's probably got a lot of nice stuff in his house. He's probably got some money. So he didn't want to be a target. So here are these Americans coming in trying, of course bigger is better. Of course nicer is better. Of course sturdier is better. And all he wanted was a way to get into his front door. And they just could not understand that. And even when my friend was relaying this story to me, he, it, it still was having a tough time computing that you couldn't just go build the perfect set of stairs for this guy's house because it wasn't really going to help him. Yeah, so your friend does a good job of drawing near to this Dominican person. This, he's moved by love for this person. He comes up with a plan for how to take action, but the action that he wants to take doesn't help. It hurts. And it, it, not only does it not help, because even when you explain that, it's hard for a person to realize that their priority and this man's priority are two different things. What's really going to help him and what really needs to be done is different than what you feel like needs to be done. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah. Don't we find ourselves in that situation sometimes? where the good that we want to do, this good thing, raises a question within us. We ask ourselves, what if my action hurts instead of helps? And hindsight, of course, is 2020, right? Hindsight, being able to look back and say, well, I really wanted to do something nice, but it didn't quite work out the way I planned it. That's easy to say in, in the past, I take a lot of uh, benevolence requests for our church. That's kind of one of the roles that I play here uh, every now and then. And I want to share just a a couple stories uh, from that ministry. 
So two weeks ago, I'm working on this sermon at the time, we had an elderly lady call us and ask if we could help her with the hotel room for the night uh, while she waits for a check to clear. Okay, so the hotel room's like $67 or something, and we're like, oh, okay, we can, we can take care of that need. And so we find out that she's staying over in Roseville, so I drive over there and uh, take care of the arrangements, wish her well, think everything's fine. And so this past Tuesday, I'm working on my sermon again, and I get a call from this woman. She says that her check is still not cleared and ask if we can take care of the hotel room for the night and provide her with some food. I struggled with figuring out the right thing to do in that situation, right? Part of me said, no, we helped the first time, and you may be abusing the system, as if there is a system. Part of me said, what does it matter? It's only going to be about $150 to take care of both. So, you know, we've got funds to do that. But the problem with that is that I know that each and every one of you works hard for the money that you get. And you want the money to help people, not hurt them. I need to make sure that we are helping people. So I agreed to provide her with food and through talking to her, felt like she was going to be able to find sufficient resources for housing for the night. I had a friend back in Texas who was really involved in a group called CASA, which is Christians Against Substance Abuse. It's kind of like AA, uh, but she was helping some people. And she told me one time as she was trying to help someone, she said, you know, Jordan, the line between helping and enabling is really fine. And enabling is no longer helping but hurting. I want you to know that our policy for helping people is that we address issues directly. We don't give anybody cash ever, but if they need us to pay a water bill, we'll pay it. If they need us to pay for a hotel room, we'll typically pay for it. We take each person on a case-by-case basis. Some people we help and never hear from again. Some people pay us back for helping, and we never ask people to do that, by the way. That's, That's not what we do. We want to help, but we never ask for people to return that. Sometimes they do. But helping people, and I mean really helping people, is really hard to navigate. And you know this. You know this. Doing nothing does not seem to be the appropriate action. So so what do we do? How do we help people so that we're no longer hurting but helping Do you remember the the original question in this story that Jesus was asked? When when Jesus is asked, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks the man the question, what do you read in the law? And the first response of Jesus is simply this, you shall love, or of the man, the, the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Church, this might seem a little hokey, but I think the answer to navigating how we help people can be found when we spend time with God. Spend time with God. When we learn to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think we're better able to help people. 
I'm part of a group that meets on Monday mornings. We meet via, it's like FaceTime, it's via video conference. And we meet together because we're all committed to becoming better disciples of Jesus. And a passage that we spent some time in lately is Psalm 1. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Church, imagine a vineyard where the plum trees are planted in rows and in between the rows are streams of water. The trees are never overhydrated because they're not in the streams, they're near it. And they always have sufficient water. The roots are solid and can grow and find nourishment and in time these trees grow and they produce leaves, and they produce delicious fruit. And they do this because they have constant access to water. Church, we are the trees, God is the water, and the fruit is the help that we can provide people. The fruit is the good works that we can do. I believe the answer to our confusion on how to act after we have drawn near and been moved, because we can do those things already, can be worked out in God. I believe that those aha moments that we are looking for when we can discern what it is, what is the right thing to do, what is the right course of action, I think these moments can be found in communion with God. I have just a few simple things to, to say about this. What can I do? What can I do? Well, here's a list of a few things. You can pray. Seriously, you can pray. If you spend time talking to God about what it is that you ought to do, then do you not believe that God will provide an answer? Pray about it. Maybe the question's a little simpler than that. Maybe you should just read your Bible, right? Maybe we should commit to reading our Bible so that we can see the things that Jesus did, see the situations that mirror the situations we're in, and do whatever Jesus did. That might be a right course of action. One of the things Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount is the idea that, that maybe the right thing for us to do is to fast. That's not a practice that we keep very often. It's not a very Church of Christ practice to talk about. We like our fellowship meals a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I mean no slight by that. I love them. But uh, one of the things that we can do is fast, right? We can spend time uh, purging ourselves of this desire to eat in order to remind ourselves that God is the one that provides. Here's a novel idea. Why don't we talk to people about it, right? Like when we're struggling with figuring out the right thing to do, why don't we pull aside one of our elders and say, hey, this is something that I'm really questioning. Can you help me find some clarity? Why don't we use our life groups as a place where we can just spend time together talking about, I have this thing going on in my life, and I could use this group to help me figure that out. You see, I use life and group in that, that example. It, it's kind of part of what they're for. We can do these things. 
We can do these things to figure out what is the right course of action. If we do these things, we can take appropriate action. Going back to adoption, just for real quick. Talked about it earlier. I had some friends in college who adopted, who have adopted. They didn't adopt someone in college, but <laughs> since then they have adopted. And I've talked to these friends a few times. I've asked them how they came to the conclusion that that was the course of action that they're going to take. Do you know what they said? They said they prayed about it. They said they read scripture and believed that God desires for his people to look after orphans. They said that they fasted while they discerned what God's will was for their lives. They said that they pulled aside people that they trusted and loved and they believed that it was the right thing for them to do. Church, I believe God provides answers. Do you? So when we have this scenario where we've drawn near, where we're moved, and we're deciding what action to take, why don't we consult God? Seriously, why don't we just consult God? Jesus told the man, after he tells this story, he simply says, go and do likewise. Church, let us be a people who go and do likewise. Hand it over to Dell. That's a really helpful lesson and very simple and to the point. Draw near, be moved, and take action. And uh, some of you did that this week. We had the York Choir that came and sang on Thursday night, and a number of you uh, took folks home and kept them overnight or gave them rides or provided meals or, you know, I just want to say thank you for doing that, and that's a great example of, of being a neighbor, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the way in which you, you did that. I, I also want to add one thing to what to what Jordan said this morning, and, and that is that um, in, this, in that story, we often refer to it as the story of the Good Samaritan. And the reason it's referred to as the Good Samaritan is because it was a Samaritan who was helping a Jew. And those folks did not see eye to eye. And they did not get along, and I think that's a, a big piece of the story of, that Jesus is telling there, that he was calling on those that were Jews or those that were listening to him to reach out to people who were not like they were and to draw near to them and to be moved and to take action. And I want to encourage us to do the same because it's one thing to be a neighbor to those who are like us. It's another thing to be a neighbor to people who are not like us, whether the color of their skin or their political views or the places that they live or all of those things that are different. I want to call us to be neighbors, not just to people who are like us, but to people who are different than we are. We had a number of prayer requests this morning. I want to share them with us. First of all, uh, we have Abraham Nauer with us this morning, and we've been praying for Abraham. He, Abraham was born as a preemie, uh, uh, a couple of months ago, and, and uh, we're glad to see him with us this morning, along, along with his parents as well, Jason and, and Chelsea. So good to see you guys, and, and thank you for bringing Abraham with you this morning, too. 
want to uh, pray for, uh, we have prayer of praise for um, uh, Robin uh, Karash, Karash, who is um, Ronnie's mother, who is um, out of the hospital. We've been praying for Robin. And uh, prayer of praise for Tia, and uh, who's uh, Ronnie's sister in Peru, who's, who is uh, pregnant, and, and uh, there were some concerns about the pregnancy, and a lot of those things apparently have, have turned around. And we're, so we're very thankful for that. We're thankful for Joey and his continued uh, uh, progress with his uh, chemotherapy, but we're also aware that he's, he's uh, sick, uh, or he's, he's kind of sick with a cold or something going on right now, and that always takes on a different level of concern when you're, um, uh, you know, when you're under chemotherapy. So I want to pray for Joey this week related to that. Uh, Anna uh, Edwards' um, Uncle, uh, John Williams, had open heart surgery this week. We want to pray about that. Uh, Rachel Starnes mentioned that her teacher, uh, a teacher at her school, Mrs. Hawthacker, died of cancer uh, this past week. And I uh, want to pray for her as well, uh, that um, uh, not, just, you know, for the, not just for her family and uh, for those who love her, but for the entire school, as, as um, the funeral will be for Mrs. Hawthacker this week. Uh, Chu has asked that we pray for her. Uh, she's been dealing with some concerns with her back and, um, and her hearing, so we want to pray for that. Paul Searles, uh, his mother, Betty, fell this week, and um, when parents get older and they fall, sometimes there's a concern, so we want to pray for Betty, as well as uh, for Lori Searles, who is dealing with some health concerns and for recovery. So let's, uh, let's stand together. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. God, our Father, help us to have open eyes. Help us to be neighbors, good neighbors, neighbors as Jesus would have us be. Help us to draw near and, to ha and uh, have our hearts opened to those who are around us and to take action in a way that's consistent with what you would have us do. Father, you've heard the prayer requests that we brought this morning. You've heard the prayer requests for those that are dealing with illness. You've heard the prayers of thanks that we've had for, for ways in which we have seen you acting. And uh, we're thankful for that, and we give you praise and honor and glory. Father, we ask uh, that you will be with those who are recovering from illness, those whose hearts are heavy, and we ask that you will intercede and that you will not only be there, we know you will be there, but you will help us to know that you were there. Thank you so much for the life that you have given to us. Let us live it in a way that gives glory and honor to you as we go out this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.